Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The key thing that I remember that really struck home to me was You've always been enough. There's nothing that you need to prove that you are enough. Every human we're born into this world, we are fulfilled. But along the way, that gets overshadowed by ideas that we need these things in order for us to be enough. And they seem so true, so we keep chasing them. And when we chase them, we keep looking outwards for things Whereas what you need to know is who you are right now is enough. And then from there, go out into the world. And it was the first time in my life where I was like, I'm okay. Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission, to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best, right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the bite-sized episodes have the power to change your life. Do you feel a subtle sense of lack? If you do, you're not alone. It's part of the human condition, or at least it is when we are identified with the mind. But the truth is, there is a space in all of us that is always fulfilled and content. Our task is to recognise it and then rest there. Grayson Hart is the CEO and founder of Pure Sport, the most tested CBD and wellness brand. He is also a former Scotland international rugby player, having grown up in rugby royalty in New Zealand, where he was part of the junior all-black team that won the World Cup. Grayson is a really interesting guy. I've got to know him pretty well, and we share a philosophical interest and outlook 
the point of which is to recognize that well-being and happiness isn't something out there in objects in the world. It is our true nature. Recognizing that you are already okay is one of the greatest gifts anyone can find. And that is something that Grayson discovered having hit rock bottom after his father died, having suffered from drug addiction for many years, and after his rugby career left him feeling unexpectedly unfulfilled. The key message that Grayson shares in this episode is such an important one, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Grayson Hart, very nice to see you. How are you? I'm very well, Simon. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. It's lovely to have you here. It's lovely to see you as always, and I'm really grateful to you for joining us on these Greenhouse Sports podcasts. You're a very welcome addition. So let me introduce you to people who don't necessarily know you. We'll get to your sporting backstory shortly, but right now your main role, should we say, outside your marriage, is being Pure Sport CEO, correct? That's correct. Pure Sport, a brand I absolutely love, started out as a CBD brand. You've got a load of more products as well beyond just CBD. But I would say as well, it's it's a movement that celebrates movement. Is that fair? That's pretty good, Simon. I like that. Yeah. So I think Pure Sport is um, what, what we say is that it's within everybody's nature to live an optimal life. Um, and that's around movement, connection with others, a sense of belonging and a healthy mind and body. We also say nature has the tools to look after our body. We think that our culture has gone into a bit of a what we call a quick fix mentality. If you've got pain, take a painkiller. If you can't sleep, take a sleeping pill. If you've got no energy, take caffeine. We believe that, yeah, some of those things can be helpful at times, but they're not an ongoing solution. And we want to create a brand that provides amazing natural products, so CBD, mushrooms, nootropics, to optimize people's mind and body, but also to be a movement, as you said, that's around that lifestyle and the mindset. So that's what Pure Sport is all about. Because uh, you do things like Run Club, and that's growing hugely, isn't it? So just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so the business began because as a professional rugby player, um, I I had what they call a, call a degenerative knee. So I had osteoarthritis in my knee. All the cartilage was gone, lots of, and I was using lots and lots of painkillers to be able to maintain playing and training at that, that level that I was at. And one day I just realized, like, this is so unhealthy. I was taking six opioid-based painkillers a day, and I really wanted to find a way to get off those but still maintain in this active lifestyle that my career was um, dependent upon. And that led me down this road of really understanding the body and how to optimize it naturally and the, some of the amazing supplements and ingredients that were out there that actually our ancestors have used and that kind of like intuitively we know are good for us. But what I realized when I was on that journey is I found these products that helped me hugely. So CBD, short for cannabidiol, non-psychoactive, non-addictive, completely legal. When you take the high quality and, and the right stuff, it has the power to impact your body and work in synergy with your body to help optimize the body's functions, to relieve pain, inflammation, and to recover. And then that, that, this led me down this whole route of exploring that, you know, not just for the for the body, but for the mind, focus, energy, things like sleep quality, gut health. And it led me down this whole other path that the world of professional sport wasn't pointing to. But what was integral in that was that these products and ingredients were an amazing part of this lifestyle. 
but they weren't the solution. They were part of it. And connecting with other people and also an active lifestyle of moving the body, not necessarily to be an elite athlete or even an athlete, but movement, you know, whether that's gardening, bowls, running, swimming, walking, consistent movement of the body keeps our mind in in good order, keeps our body in good order, and it's part of this lifestyle. We all as individuals were living our values as a brand, but we wanted to take that out to our community and create a community around it for our customers and people. So we created a run club, and our run club is the biggest weekly free run club in the UK. There's thousands of people that are part of it. We have four different um, sites that we run every single week. We do every week of the year. Everyone's welcome. So our, our mission is to make create the world's most inclusive run club. And we also do other events like yoga. We do fitness clubs. We do panel talks, which we've done an amazing one with you, Simon, around mental health and that sense of belonging and connection um, that we're all kind of searching for in this, this day and age. So... The products, that's what sells, that's what has an amazing impact on people's health, but it's the sense of community and how we can really connect with people through that, which is hugely important to us as well. And we're going to talk about your some of your experiences of, of building a startup, some of the challenges, some of the lessons, because I know it hasn't been all plain sailing. But we're going to go back first. You mentioned you were a international rugby player. You played for Scotland. You were a former New Zealand junior, all black too. And in New Zealand, you really came from rugby royalty, didn't you? So tell us about Uncle John. Yeah, growing up, my uncle, my dad's brother, he was the All Blacks coach. I'm sure most people know, obviously, that's the New Zealand national rugby team. And the New Zealand rugby is like, it's just ingrained in our culture. We love it. And we love the All Blacks. And yeah, from as far back as I can remember, my uncle was part of the All Blacks um, coaching setup. When, when I was really little, he was the assistant coach. Then when I was around like eight or nine, he was the head coach for a few years. And rugby was something that my dad loved. And it was some of my first memories and my most cherished memories were like connecting through rugby with my dad, whether it was kicking the ball down at the park, throwing the passes in the backyard, watching a rugby game on TV with my dad, or, or maybe the odd time we'd go to the games it was amazing. And yeah, then as my I developed and I became more aware of like, wow, like that's pretty bloody special that my uncle coached the All Blacks, you know, um, and being really inspired by that, that was, um, yeah, a really, really meaningful part of my upbringing. And even though you came from celebrated rugby stock in New Zealand, where, as you say, it is a religion, is it fair to say that your dad struggles Part of that came because he felt like he didn't perhaps match up to his brother. You know, his brother was obviously this huge success in worldly terms and, and your dad struggled. Yeah, I mean, the life that I was born into um, came with a lot of challenges um, and, and sadness and difficulty. Um, my, my dad faced a lot of troubles and issues with uh, drug addiction and that was something that I feel had arisen from certain difficulties and challenges he had faced in his upbringing and his life and different traumas that he had gone through and that addiction had arisen as like a coping mechanism for, I guess, 
feelings of lack or, um, you know, trying to mask some of those difficulties and traumas that he had faced. And yeah, we as kids had to be brought up in a way that we were subject to a lot of that, like sadness and difficulty that comes with uh, a parent who's, you know, faces uh, drug addiction. How aware were you of your dad's addiction at the time? The earliest memories I've got of the awareness that there was something wrong was it wasn't about the actual drugs. It was about, it was a sadness of like, I, I always remember as a little kid wanting my dad to be happy and, and like knowing when he was sad and down. When people that face addiction, uh, there's like steep lows, you know, that they're trying to get themselves out of. That's why they're chasing those highs with drugs or escapism there'd be times where my dad would it was just so obviously like in depression and like wouldn't come out of his room or like just his interactions with us were like it was just he was struggling and just as a little kid I just remember like I loved my dad so much and he was you know when he was happy and good like it was the best so from very early on I just remember really wanting my dad to be happy and living for the times and like being excited when he was and like really struggling and suffering when he was he was in a bad place which was very you know often like up and down and it wasn't probably yeah maybe when I was maybe like nine ten years old I started to notice there was some things that were a bit odd that weren't going on in my friends houses like you know me like my dad's friends coming around and falling asleep or like you know they would send us up to the shop up the road and we'd come back and they'd seem funny when we got back and things like that oh sorry I think I must have been around 11 or 12 when my dad actually went to like a drug rehabilitation like we actually stayed in the um, facility for good must have been to like six months or maybe longer I can't recall so yeah that that was when it was actually like a realization what impact then did that have on how you were feeling and as well for example your behavior say at school I guess it's something that you only realize in hindsight when you get to an age where you're able to actually like reflect on what's molded you to kind of be the way you are but looking back I feel like I was someone who was seeking attention because I think I didn't necessarily get the engagement that any child needs like my dad was a very loving guy he cared a lot and he expressed that he cared and he would do things that like that showed that he cared but like communication wise and like um physical you know like hugs and and stuff like that I always recall like there was a real craving for that and I remember like my mum, that my parents were separated and, and there was a point where I went and stayed with my, I asked my mum, I want to go live with my dad. And I think I was only seven years old or something like that. And again, it was because my mum, you know, she's always struggled with alcohol and she to this day says her biggest regret was she didn't give us the attention that we know we needed with a mum even though she was like that I felt I could like hug her or like you know try to like give her a hug whereas with my dad although he was loving it didn't feel natural to like go up and just give him a hug and when I went and lived with my dad 
we didn't stay in as much contact with my mum for that period of time. And I remember there'd be times as a little kid staying with my dad and I'd, and I'd say to dad, I'm like, oh, dad, can you ring mum for me? And he'd be like, yeah, he's like, do you need anything? What do you need? And then I'd be like, oh, I, I just want a hug. The one thing I, I know is that I craved just some attention or like a, and, and I think I, I would definitely act out. How would teachers react to your playing up? Did it become yeah. a vicious circle? Yeah. So I think it was obvious that I, that I wanted that engagement because I remember like I wanted to do well because when I did well, I, I loved when they would say, well done. But I really struggled to pay attention. Definitely the teachers that would interact with me on, on my level of like we were the same without like that look coming down yeah. like teacher pupil dynamic yeah. yeah yeah when they would connect with me like almost like what a lo- how a loving parent or family member would connect with a kid to explain something I would honestly feel this thing like I didn't want to let them down I'd be like oh yeah no that's okay I'll do that but when you know I'd come into a class and a teacher they wouldn't read or whatever which I understand it's all these kids and then if I'd speak out of turn they're like grace and that like I remember being like, in my mind, I'll be like, well, stuff you, like, and I'd want to pick at them, you know? I can totally resonate with what you're saying, and I'm sure, you know, so many can. And I know people who I've spoken to on this podcast, mentees can as well. And you spoke about teachers or mentors or coaches, whoever, speaking to you on the level or seeing past the way you're acting up, which I think really speaks volumes. Now, obviously, you wanted that approval that recognition that attention that you weren't getting in other areas a sense of belonging basically and I know that you know sport gave you a bit of a sense of belonging didn't it obviously you discovered rugby you had the rugby heritage so you just talked to me a little bit about discovering a talent for rugby and how important was it to be good at rugby there was just something about the sense of like belonging that I felt in rugby that I just loved. It was definitely something to do with like, that was where I connected with my dad. I craved those like kind of conversations and hugs and stuff. But you know, when my dad would just come out and play passes with me or I remember being down at the local park and doing goal kicking as a little kid. And, you know, my dad would pretend he was like the commentator of the All Blacks on TV. And he'd be saying, you know, Grayson Hart lining up the, winning world cup goal kick here and like these were things i just felt like connected and like meant the world to me that just built a connection of like genuine like love and and a sense of belonging to something that i think i hadn't felt in any other area in my life and then also when you're out playing and expressing yourself there's a freedom that comes with that when you're a kid who grows up in you know, a household where there's like sadness and trauma and addiction, having a place where you just feel like free, that was just a place where there was no problem. And then, and then I, when I started to get complimented, you know, the other kids, they were like, Grayson, you should see his pass, his pass, man, it's like a <laughs> bullet. I think when you're a kid who more often than not, you're getting into trouble in school and there's not that sense of like connection and love that you or, or feeling of like, you know, happiness at home. That was like, gave me what I was searching for, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
listen, I can I can totally again relate to, for example, connecting with a dad through sport. Quick word on your pass, mate. You still got it. I've seen some of your Instagram videos. That is a bullet pass you've got off both hands as well. And that pass, along with your other skills, that eventually got you selected for the Junior All Blacks, right? Yeah, it did. Um, and that was, man, like still, I know I'm 34 years old now, so that's 14 years ago. But I'm, it's still, when I think about it, that was one of the most like exciting, like huge honours for like myself and my family. And there was times throughout my teenage years that the path I was on was not looking good. And uh, I'd got into quite a lot of trouble. I'd was hanging out with a crowd that, you know, would be out drinking every weekend. I'd get into a lot of fights. I got arrested multiple times throughout, you know, those years. And I remember, man, being so ashamed. And I remember one day I just had this thing. I was like, I don't want to be a failure. Like, I don't want to live a bad life and that's the path I'm going down. I want to try my very best with rugby. The idea was to try to get into an academy team because that's like the stepping stone. And so me and my brother would be emailing every provincial academy throughout New Zealand, getting no reply, no reply. Um, and then one day, uh, one of the, the Auckland Academy guy that had said, oh, we don't have a spot for Grayson, he called me up and he goes, oh, Grayson, there's a game tomorrow. It's a trial for the New Zealand under-21s. You're not eligible to trial because you're only like 18 but we just need you to fill in a spot because one of the trialists as a scrum half, he's injured. So you just need to play 40 minutes just to help us in the game. They put me on for my 40 minutes and I don't remember the game, but I just remember I was tearing about. My lungs were blown, but I wasn't tired because I was just going, going. You're in the zone. I was in the zone. And I remember after the game, like three people came up to me and they were like, because I was so shy and quiet and I just didn't know anyone. And, and then after the game, a few people came up to me because I was just this unknown guy. And they were like, man, like you went hard. So a few of the players are like, you went well, bro. And I was like, thanks. And then Pat Lamb, who was the Auckland coach at the time, came up to me. He was the Auckland professional <laughs> team coach. He came up and he was like, mate, well done today. I want you to come to pre-season training with the Auckland team. So then that was the beginning. And I went and I went to training and there was like my heroes in that team. And then um, I just got lucky. Like one of the scrum halves, I wasn't, don't think I was ever in line to get picked, but I just trained the house down, played in some of the trial games just, and I think I was there for experience. And my view was hopefully I can, after this exposure, maybe I'll pick up that academy contract that I really, really want, you know, and one of the scrum halves, his name was Steve Devine. He used to play for the All Blacks and he was like a hero for Auckland. He took a head knock in one of the trial games. So they're like, Grayson, you're in the squad. And I went from this dude who was fighting to I was playing on rugby on TV. There was articles in the paper being like, Grayson Hart has come out of nowhere, 19 years old. So... That was a bit of a whirlwind for me. Yeah, so after that season of professional rugby for Auckland, we won the comp um, and we went undefeated and I played every game. Uh, and then I got pretty much from there, from that season, I got put straight into the New Zealand under-20s, which was the Junior All Blacks. We went 
And I remember like all the guys had played New Zealand under 19s the year before and they had won the World Cup and they were this tight-knit team. And then I literally, me and like only two other guys were the only new guys to that squad from the year before. And Aaron Smith, the current All Black legend, he was the other scrum half and I was starting all the games ahead of him. And we won that World Cup and then I got a contract for the Auckland Blues, which was the super rugby team. Still to this day, I'm the youngest scrum half to have represented the Blues. But pretty much the following year, my dad, he he passed away um, from, from cancer. And that was the most devastating um, blow in my life, really. You'd obviously got yourself back on the straight and narrow before that. Mm. And then... When your father passed away, what impact did that have in terms of changing your trajectory or, you know, how did you cope with that? It was the first time in my life that I felt like I was like doing well. And it was so special because my dad was like so proud, you know, and I think to see how proud he was and how excited he was, was so meaningful to me. And us to share that he had helped me achieve and get to this dream uh, was so special. But at the same time, I was also struggling as a young professional rugby player because part of this view that I want, I got when I said I'm going to give everything I can to become a rugby player because I want to live a good life, I want to live a better life than this path that I'm on, I had this belief that like when I make it, I'm going to be happy. Mm. And I didn't didn't feel that like happiness or fulfillment all the time that I believed that I would when I got to that point yeah the satisfaction um, it promised wasn't there yeah and that was really confusing so I I did I was actually at times slipping into bad habits of drinking and then that I also struggled because I then kept searching for more achievements or accolades or praise in rugby and then so then I think through my confusion, I'd go and try and escape it and drink more. And like rugby had actually become a seeking to suppress the feelings of lack. And when it wasn't doing that, it led me into some bad habits, you know. And and then when my dad passed away, again, my view was like, well, rugby ain't making me feel better. I've lost my dad. My dad, him and I shared this journey together. This was our journey he's not here and I feel more lacking than ever when I was 21 my dad died and I was already facing this confusion about not feeling that fulfillment from rugby I was like lost because I was like I've lost the one thing that I thought you know that that I could I just never wanted to lose that was my dad and then rugby wasn't giving me what I believed that it should and then that led me on a bad path man like back down the road where I was when I was 17. A lot of drinking, fighting, the gambling got worse to the point where my team, the club were like, well, this guy's got a bad attitude, you know, and they, they got rid of me. And yeah, that was the toughest time that I can recall. That was the beginning of looking inward. You've hit rock bottom essentially, and yet this is the part actually where things started going in the right direction. Now, I know that there are two people in particular among many, but two people who who you're very grateful to, one being your brother who was keeping on at you to to get back on and not get lost. And the other was a counselor who that you went to see 
who helped you look inward, who helped you to understand that, you know, success isn't going to fill up that sense of lack and Mm. all these kind of things. So, yeah, can you just tell us about your brother and then this counsellor and how he changed how you saw things? Yeah, so my brother, he's three years older than me and um, he, he faced all the same challenges and difficulties but we were really close, you know, uh, probably through those sharing that challenging journey together. And he was always like a loving, good big brother. And I was like a quite a annoying, smart ass, you know, um, little brother. But he always allowed me to be part of what he was doing with his mates, go skateboarding, play basketball. Um, and he, he would always include me. And I remember when I was, he helped me so much, like, like, when I was trying to go to the gym, he helped me as a trainer and got me a pass to the gym. He was emailing all of the academies for me and things like that. And you know, I mean, when I'd get into trouble at school and like some of the teachers, it was a boarding school and he'd be really hard on, uh, they'd be very, very hard on me. And my brother would, you know, stand up for me and things like that. So he, I feel he always had my back. And when I was getting into a lot of trouble, he was the one who was saying to me, come on, man, this isn't you. You've got this amazing opportunity that you've worked so hard for. Like, don't let go of it, you know. And one day I just remember waking up, feelings of guilt. And I went to my brother and I said, man, sorry that I've been not listening to you. You're right, but I don't know what to do. Like, I need help. And he's like, okay, like, I'm going to uh, talk to some people, try like see what we can figure out. He just spoke to different people and he got put in touch with this guy and his name's Trevor. And Trevor was like a um, psychologist, therapist who was known for like working with young people to help them understand like addiction and like drugs and stuff. And the key thing that I remember that really struck home to me was you've always been enough. There's nothing that you need to prove that you are enough. Every human we're born into this world, we are fulfilled. But along the way, that gets overshadowed by ideas that we need these things in order for us to be enough. And they seem so true, so we keep chasing them. And when we chase them, we keep looking outwards for things, whereas what you need to know is who you are right now is enough. And then from there, go out into the world. And it was the first time in my life where I was like, I'm okay. I don't have to go out and impress people or I'm okay. Here I am and it's good enough. It may sound simple, but man, like my life transformed. 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's such an important understanding that, isn't it? Because like you say, we come into this world like we all have an intrinsic worth. It's obvious when you look at a baby like or a toddler running around, like there's no question of am I good enough? But then we learn these these ideas and it's getting back in touch with that, that understanding that underneath the traumas and the thoughts and the behaviors we have is understanding that actually we're okay We've always been okay. We always will be okay underneath all these things. And then going from that place and expressing that rather than searching for that in things like success or parties or whatever it may be. Is that a fair summary? Absolutely. And if you look at how our culture that we live in is set up, there's so much that's like portraying that we need x y and z to be okay yeah and and but like we picked that up from the world around us our parents um social media tv school and and then we're we're almost taught to like do things to get the achievement or the thing so that we are like okay or secure whereas there's not many places and things pointing us to the fact that like look within yourself see that there's a space that is it's, it's fulfilled it's as full as it comes it's abundant that's who you are look there and then go out and do whatever you want to do and actually i remember like going out and playing rugby again and it, it reminds me like when i was a kid and i felt that sense of belonging and freedom it was because i was in touch with that, yeah. that abundance within me that was me yeah. that is all of us it was an expression of that right yeah. As and opposed to oh, doing it to, oh, Ooh. then I want to be successful to be okay. It was just a pure expression of that. Yeah. And that is what allowed me to be good at rugby. It was just an expression of freedom and love and the abundance that I am, that we all are. And we can all express it in different ways. It might be how you interact with your family, how you show up at work, how you meet with and talk with strangers, how you create, how you do art, like... It's an expression of your abundance and your fulfillment. And and then, but then what had happened when I got that contract and this confusion of like, why do I not feel fulfilled? Because, and then I'd overlooked that it wasn't the thing that makes you fulfilled. It's, it's already there. It's who you are. And you just express it in that. But as my mind, as I grew up into this world and this culture of you need X, Y, and Z to be okay, then... I attached that to the game that was just an expression to me. 
And then that's where it got back to front and got confusing. And then the thing that was an expression became a point of like suffering, you know? Yeah. So you've obviously spent some time with this counselor and he's made you realize that seeking to prove your worth and fill up a void through success, all those things aren't necessary. But, you know, you'd been let go from your rugby contract and you're having difficulties with rugby. But around this time, when you started, let's say, looking inwards, as you put it, you soon after rediscovered your love of rugby. So you came over to Scotland and before you know it, you're in the national setup. (laughs) Did that period of your rugby career when you were representing Scotland, did that stem from that understanding that actually, no, it's an expression of my love rather than a search for it? Yeah, so I remember, like, so the pathway to Scotland, I left Auckland and I got a contract with a semi-pro team in Sydney, and that that was my, like, way of trying to get back on track. This, like, this, like, lesson that I got taught by Trevor, I remember being so invigorated by this realisation that, like, it became, like, something I was really passionate about understanding. I started, like, reading different books and stuff and, like, Becoming really interested in a in like what what is life really about you know because I I thought it was about achieving X Y and Z to be okay and that didn't fulfill me but I still love rugby but I want to I, I don't want to lose sight of like this powerful realization there it was almost like pointers that I knew like I felt like all humans know this stuff but our our culture that we live in right now is actually trying to tell us the opposite. And but but by immersing myself in learning and reading these books, what it made me realize is that was a really important part of my life was the ongoing exploration of who I am and who we are and what life's about. So so rather than just being this guy that like rugby was everything, I was like, I love rugby, I want to do well in it, and it's something that I enjoy and that's my ambition. But this is also a huge part of my life. So I I now had this like balance of like exploring who I am, knowing that I'm good enough, knowing that I'm fulfilled, and then doing my the, the rugby that I loved as an expression of that. And it was just a complete different experience. And it took me back to being the kid out there, not even knowing whether he was good or not, just ripping in because he loved it. And not even judging yourself, not measuring, like you're just out there. And those were the times when I knew that I always played my best. I'd get off the field, I didn't even know whether I'd done good or bad. I'd just be like so immersed in it. And the times I was where I struggled, it was like this commentary in my head telling me, now that's good, that's bad, oh, you must do this. Anyhow, I just remember going, getting this deal with the semi-pro team and it was a vast difference from being in the professional setup of the junior All Blacks and the Blues in Auckland because everything was unbelievable. This was pretty grassroots. But I was just so grateful to be there and loved it. And I was like, this is exactly where I need to be. I just want to play rugby and I want to rip in. And I shared that with my teammates and it brought out the like love for the game. And then I picked up a contract from that with the Waratahs Super Rugby team. And that was literally off the back of just loving it and being out there and for the pure expression and joy of the game. And I remember thinking to myself when I was doing well and people were talking about, oh, you might get a contract with the Waratahs. I was, I, I mean, I was like, man, if I get another go at pro rugby, I'm never going to take it for granted ever again. I'm going to love every moment like, and appreciate every moment. I'm not just going to live for the 
applaud of the fans or the pat on the back and all the wins. And that's what allowed me to go on that path to then, you know, playing international rugby. You went out and played uh, rugby for Scotland, which as a proud son of a Scotsman is a hell of an achievement. But in time, as you've already shared, you know, your knee injury caught up with you and whatever else. And after your playing days had finished, what led you to set up Pure Sport and just how difficult and different has it been in terms of setting a business up? Because being a an entrepreneur, someone who does set a, a startup up is a million things to do every day. I heard this one guy who was a startup founder and he said, um, being a founder of a startup is like free falling from the sky and trying to build an airplane on the way down. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, wow, that is actually so accurate. So the realization that I had in that moment with Trevor and then the ongoing exploration of what life is really about being such a meaningful part of my life. I can honestly credit that for being the catalyst for pure sport as well, because I went on to do mentoring with young kids in schools from like disadvantaged backgrounds and kids that were struggling. I, I through my journey, I managed to connect with um, different organizations and charities and um, along the way throughout my rugby career. And I got the opportunity with these organizations to go do mentoring with um, kids who were struggling in some of the same ways that I did when I was growing up. And I found that so like engaging and, and interesting. And it was also like I was learning from these kids reminders about what my journey was about. And one of the key things I learned is that it's so easy to get attached to like a concept or a view of who we are and what life's about. And it's important that we question those concepts. And then that led me to question like how I was looking after myself as a rugby player and that the world of sport was very much in this paradigm of like quick fixes and professional sport. It's cutthroat. If you're not playing, you ain't going to get another contract. And if you're not got another contract, you're done. So you got to stay on the field. You got to try to stay injury free. And when you are injured, you got to get back as quick as you can. And you need it. And then everything's about being out there. And that led me to a lot of reliance on painkillers because I have I struggled with a few different knee injuries on the same knee throughout my career, which led to an osteoarthritic knee, the need for a lot of injections, uh, cortisone injections. I used to have to get my knee drained of fluid once a month. And then at the worst point, because you train three times a day as a professional rugby player, you got your gym, you got your um, back session, you got your full team session at three different points throughout the day. So I was taking two painkillers before every single session, six opioid painkillers a day. And then there was times where it was, my pain was so bad at the end that I have to take another two afterwards to ease the pain at home. Six to eight painkillers a day for like two years on end is no way to live your life. And I'm just so thankful I was able to question that. And that led me down this path of how can I look after myself? And that led me to natural alternatives that we spoke about earlier. I trialed those products and I found them unbelievable. I managed to work my way off painkillers. CBD originally was the one that got me off the painkillers. And then I learned about like mushrooms, like lion's mane for like focus. So I started utilizing these. And one day my team doctor came to me and he's like, oh, you're not taking all the painkillers. What's the go? And I was like, oh, I'm taking these and it's been amazing. Then he came back the next day and he's like, oh, yeah, the club said you're not allowed to take those because they're not certified for sport. 
And I was upset about the time and I was like, well, I don't want to go back to the painkillers. I feel like a new man getting off those things. And I've realized how horrible they were for my mental and physical health. And they were just like, nah. And then that's what sparked my idea. I was like, well, I'm going to create. And the reason I couldn't take them is because they weren't certified officially for drug tested athletes. And because these were new and this industry was new, there was none that were certified. That was the spark for my idea. I was like, I'm going to create the world's first fully certified for drug test athletes, range of CBD, um, mushrooms, nootropics, and natural products to optimize like mind and body. The focus being like sleep, pain relief, um, cognitive function, gut health. So that was just an idea because those are all the products that I was using. And then I just remember going back to my wife and I was like, I want to do this. I want to find a way to do it. I'm going to call. And I was already emailing different people and manufacturers and farms and like Asia and America for the raw ingredients that had no idea about business and started reaching out to like chief scientific officers who were like consultants in the area. And I was like, I need help. So I don't get this, that or the other speaking to world anti-doping about the testing protocol, test, speaking to informed sport who the the batch testing thing and yeah just out of my like keenness to overcome the fact that they told me i couldn't do it and my love for what these products were i just started trying to like accumulate information and then i remember as i accumulated all the info i was like i'm gonna do this went to my wife i was like oh I, all, you know the savings we've been saving up to try to buy a house i'm gonna use it to create this brand and new products and she was like what the how are you gonna grow that business you don't know about business and i was like yeah but trust me, this is going to be amazing and I'll figure it out. And then I was so passionate. She was like, okay. And I remember actually when she accepted that and she was like, okay, then I had this moment. I was like, well, damn, like, I better not stuff this up. Like, this is for real. <laughs> and but then I also had this thought, the same realization that allowed me to express myself in rugby from what I'd learned. I was like, this will never be a failure as long as you are always open to learn and evolve throughout the process because even if it doesn't work out to the plan you can equip yourself with skills and knowledge that are going to help you in life and grow like and grow as a person because i was like people invest hundreds of thousands of pounds to go to university so this can be my like university too for business okay so if it was your university you've been to university for a while now the university uh course is very prestigious if you had to summarize just in a, you know, in a minute or two or a few points, what, what are the, some of the things, the key things you've learned from being an entrepreneur, from, from setting up a startup that's grown as it has with Pure Sport? The challenges and the issues never go away as problem solving. And like, no matter how you go or where you get, like, there'll always be things and issues and problems and difficulties. And it's actually about how you face them and, and resolve them and work with people and, and then the other thing I've learned is understand like why you're doing it and be able to fall back on that because what I've learned is trying to grow a startup business comes with so many challenges and so many responsibilities and like feelings of like pressure on your shoulders that I think a normal like employment or workplace doesn't come with. And, and so you must be able to truly in your heart know why you're doing it and feel that like that's an authentic purpose because I would say without that, I don't know if it's worth it. <laughs> There's been times where I'm like, man, like 
I, I didn't sign up for it. I, I didn't know this was going to be this hard and this is going to literally take up all these elements. Like my whole life has changed. Me and my wife have had to learn to adapt to like a new way of life and our relationship with my time being used up and my brain being in so many places, but knowing the like purpose behind it. And for me, that purpose is pure sport is a vehicle to share the insight into life that helped me when I was struggling the most. Yes, it's products that help people, but for me, what the greatest impact is, is that product and that physical, tangible like brand and business and product is a wrapped up message of, hey, you are enough, you are abundant and express that, you know? Absolutely. And you've done it through rugby and you're now doing it through business. So I know that you became aware of greenhouse sports and you decided to, you know, do some fundraising for them. So just tell us what drew you to greenhouse and the fundraising that you did briefly. Through my journey, like, and the impact, that purpose I said there of, of like what pure sport was really, really about drives me. But there's times where I miss the actual, like, don't get me wrong, like with the run clubs and stuff, it's amazing because I'm interacting with all sorts of people and like they're saying, oh man, like this community, it's amazing, all your products, they've helped me. But like through my rugby, that ability to connect with kids who, are, who you know, are facing challenges that I could fully relate to and my, my want to like help them during through the like hustle and bustle and the like how busy and uh, uh, growing a business can be, I've missed that ability to truly like connect with some of those young people that I feel need our help more than anyone and need like our society's help more than anyone because there's little meaningful things that can shift that can change the whole trajectory of a kid's life and I know there's amazing people that haven't had that chance and we had an idea uh, going into Black Friday. Black Friday is a time where most businesses just try to sell as much product as possible. And it's all about just sell, sell, sell. And that didn't fit in line with our like ethos of what we're about, you know. And we don't want people to just buy stuff for the sake of it. We want yeah. calculated decisions. So we're like, okay, we're not going to do Black Friday. But we want to do something to give back during this time. And part of my like vision for Pure Sport is to set up a um, like a foundation for kids to find the power of sport and how that can and the lessons that can learn to change their lives. But because we we don't have the like resource to do that now at the size we are through the identifying we wanted to do something different during Black Friday to give back. I was like, let's do a campaign. Whatever we sell during this time, we're going to donate to a charity that helps kids. Uh, with sport to help change their life so I just like okay well I need to find the right charity I want to get one that's fully aligned with what you know that purpose is so I was just googling like what are the charities here in the UK that help disadvantaged kids or kids who are struggling you know find the power of sport to help change their lives and the one that just stood out to me the most that the messaging the imagery and and also the way in which they were truly helping the kids it was greenhouse sport and the thing that stood out the most to me was they actually put someone inside like of the schools and the community that is a genuine ongoing touch point for those kids. And for me, that was like, that's not just a box ticking exercise. Like these kids have someone in an ongoing way that can really help them. 
Because the kid who needs that help most, there'll be times where they flourish and they find meaning. Then they'll go, they'll get lost. Something tough will happen at home or they'll forget that mess, that learning. And to have that person to refer back and that guidance. And it was like, like I was talking about, those one or two people in my life that I can still remember to this day that looked me in the eye and they, they spoke to me like I was in, like on the same level as them. They impacted my life. You know, that there's lessons I learned from them that I'll never forget. And that's what Greenhouse Sport is putting into these schools that can help. So, yeah, we, we decided that's what we were going to do. We are going to do this um, Black Friday period where it goes to Greenhouse Sport and um, – we did a campaign that told the stories of our ambassadors, how sport had the lessons they had learned through sport. And the key thing is it's not about becoming a pro athlete or an elite athlete. It's, it's what you can learn about yourself and who you are and take into life. And that, that to me as well as what Greenhouse Sport was doing. So it was perfect alignment. And we it was one of the most rewarding campaigns and things that we've done as a business so it was really cool and i know greenhouse sports were delighted to align with you and it does feel like in terms of values a really lovely partnership you know what pure sports is all about what greenhouse sports is all about so just finally then grayson for some of the greenhouse mentees as well as the greenhouse mentors so coaches and people who are being coached people who are being mentored and the mentors You've touched on a few things, but if you had to sort of share one message for particularly those people who are who are mentees, who perhaps find themselves in a similar situation or feeling how you did when you were going through your tough times, what message would you have for, for people in that, in that situation from what you've learned? Yeah, I would say when we're suffering and we're struggling, our mind has this constant chatter and it's pointing outwards to something to do to fix the feeling that we're feeling. And what I would say is if you can, in those moments, challenge yourself to not go outward to the thing that our mind is saying will fix this feeling and turn inward and see and reflect within yourself to find the space of awareness that is the background that that chattering thought is arising upon and see what that is made of. And in my experience and many others, what you'll find is that is a place of presence and peace and fulfillment. And the chattering noise, that's just playing out. We don't always have to chase it and follow it and try to fix it. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is just stop and go inward and see that you are the background like the phrase they say the blue sky is never tarnished by the clouds the clouds come and go and I think what I learned the biggest lesson is when the clouds are there we often want to do something to fix the clouds and for me that was like drinking or you know and, and nowadays it's so like we'll go on social media we'll scroll we'll buy junk food we'll go buy something online or whatever it is to try to like get rid of the clouds but actually, we don't need to get rid of the clouds. They come and go. That's part of being human. Know that you're the background. Go to that background and like rest there. And you'll see like the clouds are there. They're fine. They come and go. And you'll 
in my experience and and many others you'll find you make better decisions life becomes easier your path becomes clearer i know that's a pretty long message but i hope that makes sense you're the sky and not the weather is essentially what you're saying there right grayson listen grayson i think it's a really beautiful message and I think of people who can really connect with that. I think it's it's profound and, and important. And like you say, it's not necessarily something that I think people are pointed in the direction of as much as it would be nice if they were. So I appreciate you sharing it very much. And I very much appreciate you coming on the podcast as well. It's a pleasure listening, you know, to your story and, and I've just got to, you know, take my hat off to you for, you know, you've been through a lot and, uh, you're still going through a lot with the business, I know, but yeah. but like you're doing great and you're full of wisdom and full of kindness and warmth. And uh, I just very much appreciate you, everything you do and just chatting to you. So thank you very much for speaking to us on this podcast series. Uh, thank you so much, Simon. It's a pleasure to be here. And, and I think one thing is all humans, we all go through different challenges and ups and downs and they look different and some are more obvious, but we're all in it together and it's normal to have times where you just feel like you don't know the answer or you just don't see a way out but there's always a way you know and and I would say look inside and you'll see you you've got this and doesn't matter who you are we all face challenges but we're all good enough Thank you for listening to this episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. I would be delighted to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your guest suggestions, your questions. Just get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. And if you could share this episode with someone you know or on social media, I would be very grateful as it does really help people to find this podcast. That's it for now. I will be back with a bite-sized episode this Friday and another full-length episode next week. Until then, goodbye. 